From APM American Public Media, this is a WITS special bonus double secret turbo edition. I'm John Moe. Learn this name now, Aparna Nancherla. She's a comic, and you're going to be hearing a lot from her in the near future. Oh, yeah, you'll say, I heard about her all on WITS, and then we'll feel great about that and all sorts of smart. Aparna is a former writer on Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. She's appeared there as well as in comedy clubs all over the country and on Time Magazine's list of the funniest people on Twitter. Here she is appearing on Conan. I, uh, I was walking on the street recently. We're not that different, you and I. And... Uh... A black guy with a mohawk was coming down the street this way, complimented a white guy with a mohawk going the other way. Yeah. So I made a wish. I was like, I know how miracles work. I've been around. Probably one of the most influential moments in my life, right up there with when I realized any pizza can be a personal one if you cry while you eat it. Aparna Nancherla on Conan. She stopped in to visit at our studios recently. I asked her if she's more of a writer who does stand-up or a stand-up who writes. I think when you're a stand-up, first and foremost, you think of yourself as a stand-up Uh because it feels like even though you write all your material, you need that instant gratification of a response to it. Yeah. More than like a writer who holds up and, you know, in a cabin in the woods and <laughs> emerges every 10 years. Yeah, I think you're thinking of a murderer. <laughs> yeah. That's what a murderer does. How long have you been doing stand-up then? Um, coming up on nine years. Wow. Yeah. And you got your start, I heard, at a... Uh, at an open mic while you were in college, is that right? Yeah, I was, I'm from outside Washington, D.C., like the suburbs, and I was home from college uh, just like, you know, finding ways to entertain myself for free. So some friends and I went to like an open mic near my house a couple of nights in a row, and we were like, oh, not everyone is a professional. So me and uh, another friend were like, we should try this. Just on a whim, really, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, it took... Uh, the first time I went up was, like, on my birthday, and I think I definitely tried to milk that <laughs> aspect. <laughs> Get the sympathy, sympathy from the crowd, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it didn't go terribly. I really think, you know, your first time has a big effect on whether you continue sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, did the, the road open up before you, and did the shining light come down and say, ah, oh, yes, <laughs> this is this is my calling? I, I wish it was that, you know, glamorous <laughs> and neat a story, but I, I I did it a couple times during college, but I really didn't pursue it till after I graduated, and I was like, because in my head it was one of those things where I was like, I'm a stand-up, but then I was like, you've done it like three times, you really need to... <laughs> but that's enough in college. <laughs> I know, in college you can do anything <laughs> twice, and that's... That's you. I realize I have kind of an innocent vibe, and sometimes I'll come up here and I'll spout my opinions, and someone in the audience will inevitably be like, boy, she sure has a lot to say considering what she looks like. <laughs> and that's fine. I own a mirror. I'm on your side. <laughs> but I just want to assure you I've experienced my share of real life. Like I've had orange juice after brushing my teeth. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, what you're going through. Um, now, you've been on Conan how many times? Just one. Just one time. Yeah. That surprises me because I remember after 
your Conan appearance, everyone was everyone was talking about you all of a sudden. Oh. And I like I mean that was from my perspective as someone who follows comedy. Did things heat up for you right after that show? Yeah, and I think part of it was that um though I was still at totally biased at the time and Hari Kundabolu also wrote there at that time and he and I were talking about we were like thinking like who can we think of any other Indian women or South Asian women who have done a late night comedy spot? And then we couldn't think of any. So he was like, well, I'm going to say you were the first. And then hopefully if there was someone else, like someone will be like, actually, this person was the first. And then no one did. So then it started like I think Jezebel picked it up as like first Indian American woman uh-huh. to do like. So then I think it kind of gained traction in that method of like. You were a pioneer. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. But um, so are your parents, I mean, was it a funny household growing up? Are you, well, let me ask back up a little bit. Are your parents from India? Did they immigrate from India? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, basically it, I was the first one born in this country. I have one older sister, but everyone uh-huh. else is from there. Yeah. Uh, and was comedy a thing growing up in your house? Not at all. <laughs> really? Like not that we had a serious household. Like we definitely, it was like, I think a normal balanced household, but it wasn't like, we're all trying to be funny and make each other laugh. It was pretty like, you know, just normal family dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it So why, I mean, there's been plenty of Indian American women in America. Why, yeah. why do you think you, you've, you're the first one to do a lot of these things? I don't know. And honestly, like when I started, I didn't even think of it in that way of like, oh, there aren't any... Like, I think Mindy Kaling was starting to gain traction when I started, but she definitely has blown up more and more in the past few years. But I didn't sort of, I don't think I ever looked around me and was like, well, I'm the first or like, who else is there? Like, I just sort of was like, well, this feels like a good fit for me. So I'm just going to keep doing it and see what happens. Yeah. But it is interesting in that some of the first success I gained was by virtue of the fact that there weren't a lot of people like me. How do you think that helped you? Mm, it helps in the sense that, like, like one of the first breaks I got was, like, this NBC program called, like, Stand Up for Diversity, where they, like, audition comedians who are maybe outside the straight white male or or black male population. There's, like... There are voices that you might not otherwise hear from. So that was like something that really helped me get more serious about comedy. But it can go either way. Like sometimes people see my act and they're just like, well, I don't quite know what to make of you. Like when I was first starting and that sometimes hinders you. But in the same way, it makes you think like, oh, well, this is good because I'm not like anyone else. Yeah. They they don't. Exp- oh, here comes the standard Indian-American woman yeah. comedy yeah. that we've heard so many times. Yeah. I, like even that. Is that even a thing? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> not, <laughs> I don't not to, either. I mean, even Mindy Kaling came more from like a, a theater and, and yeah. acting yeah. side than anything. I don't think she ever, yeah, was clumped in that way either. I want, Do you know a lot of other people in comedy who are first generation American? I think there actually are quite a few. I think there are. I am. My my parents immigrated from Norway. And, okay. And uh, 
my wife pointed this out the other day because she we just had B Beeman on the show, who's a yeah. Sri Lankan American musician, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had Hurry on the show. Yeah, and uh, my wife said you get a, a lot of you book a lot of first generation people, yeah. and I'm like I think there are a lot of them out there. Yeah. in comedy and music. Yeah, and I, I, at least to speak to the comedy side of it, I think you very much when you are that generation you often have this point of view of like an outsider looking in because you're kind of between cultures, which is very like conducive to comedy. Yeah. Just being an observer. Yeah. Well, and often I think you're not very good at American culture. Yeah. Because you you have no one really to teach you. Oh, yeah, totally. Like even now, like sometimes I'll watch comedy and I'll be like, I don't get these references (laughs) that everyone's responding to. Yeah. 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 No, I I think if if you don't have... Parents, I mean, I, I never, I would go to friends' houses and I didn't know what to make of their very warden June Cleaver like right. parents. It seemed very strange and, and like fake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember growing up like my mom, first of all, it was like a big thing, even being allowed to like go to sleepover parties. Like Mm. usually would be like, you can stay until the bedtime and then I'm coming to pick you (laughs) up. Coming to get you? I don't know. It was like a weird protective thing. Is that a cultural thing or just your mom being protective? I think it was like a cultural thing. Like, I don't know. We don't know how this household operates after hours. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Once the lights go out. (laughs) I don't know. Anything can happen the fear was (laughs) but then it was like the first few times that i was allowed to go to them it would be like i would feel like an anthropologist being like like studying other people's families and being like this is so different yeah yeah well it probably gives you that that sense of of otherness too of of kind of stumbling through the world that that helps out a lot with, right. with comedy or with anything creative. Yeah, and I think I already approach the world in that way of this sort of like naifish, like naive person, like uh-huh. that's sort of my voice. So it helps that a lot of it is true to life. Yeah. Well, yeah, I noticed that about your comedy. It's not a lot of like, uh, you know, hard tales <laughs> yeah. from the road. It's like, right. it's like I'm, a, I'm a young woman who went to Amherst and <laughs> yeah. here we go. Yeah, yeah. And but that it's weird because it is that, but then like very, I also have these weird curveballs that throw people off. Like I went to Amherst, but then my the the other place I would have gone if I didn't go to Amherst was West Point, which makes oh, people wow. very like they're really? like what? Yeah, exactly. That's the reaction. Wow, I how, know. How did that? What? what? I know. Let me just I, say what a few more times. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like if I looked back, I'd be like, this person's life is like created so, by a computer. Program. What I know about people who go to West Point, I've known like two people who've gone to West Point. Yeah. They had the impeccable perfect grade point average and were just the shining stars of their school. Right. I think for me it was like I started getting these brochures from West Point in the mail. I guess colleges, you know, they fan out their mail from when you're like 14. They start like enticing you to go there. Mm -hmm. And for some reason they would always emphasize like leadership and like becoming like a better person. And I, I think I just became fixated on becoming like a leader of the nation. So like, I was like, oh, I got to go to West Point if I want to, like, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I, I sort of glossed over the, <laughs> the military part of it. And I was just like, this school is good for humans. Take over the military or stand up yeah, comedy. Yeah. 
<laughs> like I don't I yeah I I I was all over the place. Um how did you get hooked up with uh with our pal Kamau? Kamau was just on on our stage show a couple weeks ago. I knew Kamau from just doing comedy festivals like we had crossed paths briefly but really the way I got um into the totally biased pool was that I knew a, a bunch of other writers on the staff who were like you know, I think two of them, Janine, Brito, and Nato, did, like, the Laughter Against the Machine tour with Kamau. Uh-huh. And I had done, like, a guest spot on one of their dates. And I think one of their execs saw me and was like, oh, you seem like you would be a good fit for our show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was it was a very different show uh, than a lot of a lot of shows for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that he really showcased the writers. I mean, Hurry yeah. Kondabolu got a lot of yes. airplay. You were on a lot. Yeah, I think that w- was something he really was a champion of from the beginning. He was just like, I want this to be a place for different voices that you don't normally get to see. And if one of the writers can sort of bring light to an issue in a more authentic way than I can, then mm-hmm. I would rather they talk about it than me. And he kind of set himself up as a straight man and let the yes, exactly. let the writers really so was, run with it. Yeah, very generous in that way. What, what's going on here? I think we've all heard just about enough of your liberal whining and dining against guns. Aparna, what are you talking about? This great country of ours was founded on guns. Literally, we are standing on a pile of guns right now. No, we aren't. I was speaking metaphorically. You used the word literally. I was using the word literally metaphorically. (laughs) What was the writer's room like? What was the the process of getting an idea kind of germinated and developed and on the air? It was interesting. Like, I feel like we, we often tried to broach issues that you know, other shows weren't covering or like that Kamau could could bring a voice to that maybe other late night show hosts couldn't. And so sometimes we would delve into pretty murky territory of like, well, how do we make this funny if it's like, you know, the Guns. Trayvon yeah. Martin or <laughs> right, something? Right. Yeah. So it would always be kind of straddling this line of um, serious issues, but trying to approach them in a in a funny way, which I guess is, you know, Daily Show territory and yeah, John yeah. Oliver. I mean, yeah. so then is it a, a chicken and egg thing? Like, what came first? Was it the the funny idea, or <laughs> oh, we need to address this this social reality? Well, a lot of times it would be like, what are things we have to talk about? Like, would it, would it be weird if we sort of like ignored an issue that like right. came up and was just like, well, no one could think of a good joke for it. <laughs> so we would definitely have things where it was like, we need to mention this in some way. And hopefully someone would have a joke, but sometimes the issue came first. We had come out on our show for the first time when it was just in the process of moving uh, from FX to FXX right. and going from one night a week to several nights a week. Yeah. Um, is that, I mean, do you think that's what really cost you, going to the lesser-known network or doing more shows? I think it was the combination of those two things. Because I think from going from weekly to daily, in and of itself is a huge jump uh, in material. But then when you're going to a network that, people still don't know how to find. Right. <laughs> like it, it kind of buried us yeah. in a way. Yeah. 
It's the one with all the Simpsons on it. Yes. That, that's, that's but that was even after we got canceled. Yeah, if so. they had done that first. <laughs> right, I think that's what right. Kamau said when he was on here. If, if yeah. they had done that first, right. they might have really... Followed the Simpsons. <laughs> ...helped you out a lot. <laughs> um, let's talk about Twitter, because you were you were named one of Time Magazine's top tweeters of 2014. I know. 2014. That was very unexpected, because as a sort of comedy tweeter, you... You know, you get narcissistic about your work, but you never are like, oh, like I'm up there with like, you know, someone who seems like is spreading more useful information. (laughs) Well, but that's part of Twitter, too, is that you can't act like it's a very important platform. Right. It has to appear like just you're throwing jokes away. Right, right. You have to sort of it's a like playing hard to get where you're like, oh, yeah, I just think of these things Without even... <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I wasn't even awake when I tweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> so then if nobody likes it, hey, no yeah, big deal. Yeah, or you just delete it and you act like it never happened. Like it never <laughs> happened, exactly. <laughs> do you test material out on Twitter? I do. I used to be a little bit more self-conscious about it because people would be like, oh, is that a tweet? I saw you use that tweet on stage. But now I'm like, it's such a habit for me. Like I've grown used to tweeting a couple times a day that... Those ideas, it's like it's an easy way to generate ideas for me. And and I think if you have enough of them, it's not like people are going to be like, oh, that like they don't remember each one as specifically as if you only tweet like once a month or something. Do you do you craft them in advance or is it really the, the stream of consciousness? It. It can go either way. I am ashamed to say in some extent that like sometimes I've written like 20 or drafted 20 tweets in a row and been like, oh, like, oh, these are just gunning for like (laughs) faves or retweets or whatever, like just proud and sitting on them. But then some (laughs) of them they're just in the workshop. They're just in the bullpen. Yeah, Like in Santa's workshop. Yeah, right. Yeah. But then. Other ones I'll just think of in the moment, and sometimes those will do way better because I think they are very organic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what always strikes me is is the ones that I don't fully understand <laughs> are often the ones that really take off. And then when you try to turn them into comedy on a stage oh, in front of yeah. people, there's... they just die. Yeah. And I think a part of that is that there's an element to Twitter humor that doesn't translate mm-hmm. to at like out loud it's like a punctuation joke or, or right yeah some weird typo that people somehow the internet is like this is the next you know prior the next thing <laughs> yeah um so what's next for you what are you working on right now right now uh well this past year since totally biased ended i've really just been focusing on stand-up which has been a luxury like since when you start you pretty much have like a day job and you work and like right now i've been uh, lucky enough to not have to work other than just doing shows and traveling. And so I've been doing that. But yeah, I think in the future, I am sort of gearing up towards writing on another show. Yeah, Like it's hard to juggle the two, but I, I definitely enjoyed the process of like writing and working with other people. And when you just do stand up, you are by yourself a lot, which can be Good and bad. <laughs> I I would think I've never toured as a stand-up, but I would think like it's just hours and days and months of being alone with your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Does yeah. The, how do you how do you keep that from making you crazy? Mm. Because that's what <laughs> the Eagles advised like to is know. to not let your own wheels drive you crazy. Yeah. That's good no, advice from Glenn Fry. That still holds up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you know, therapy yeah. and uh <laughs> 
Also, traveling with a friend is like a world of difference. Like if you get to, if you can like put together a little tour, or like have someone open for you, it's uh, like right. day and night between, yeah, making yeah. it more fun for yourself. But yeah, overall, I think like, I don't know that I'm built for the road long term the way like some some comics do it where they're just gone all the time. Yeah. Yeah. For years at a time. And, and it shows. They they develop a... <laughs> They develop a hardness about yeah. them, I think. They develop, yeah, just uh, yeah, and then an edge. Th- then you then you couldn't have that uh, that that same voice that you talked about. Right, right. Got to preserve the voice. Aparna mm-hmm. uh, Nancherla is a comedian, and uh, you you have seen her. You've seen her all sorts of places. Shut up! Come on, <laughs> you've seen her on Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell. You've seen her on Conan. You've seen her lots of other places, and I've seen her right here in our studio. Aparna, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks to Aparna Nancherla. Hey, you can find us on Internet. Have you been to Internet, by the way? Because it's full of websites. One of them is witsradio.org. That's our website, and it has stuff on it, like old shows and stuff about new shows coming up and all sorts of other stuff. It's a stuff site on the web. It's a web stuff site is what I'm saying. You can also find us on Tumblr. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. Just use the Google machine and you will track us down. Hans Buto is our coordinating producer. Corey Schreppel is our technical director. Our executive producer is Peter Clowney. Senior producer is Larissa Anderson. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Bye now.